Welcome to the Breakthrough Life the Battlefield podcast series, presented by the Managing Director of Insight Intelligence Group, ex-military and diplomatic security intelligence services specialist, and now best-selling author, Mario Beckish, ambassador and activist for humanity. Ultimately, Life the Battlefield talks about the most important concerns we all have, how to have hope, to cope, how to survive and thrive in 2022 and beyond and invites you to join the conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the radio show and podcast Live the Battlefield with Mario Beckes. Today it's a true pleasure and truly I am I can't explain later my ghost uh, my, my guest and, 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 and person I'm meeting today uh, introduce himself. I'm truly amazed with his background and uh, no doubt you're going to learn so much today from the true uh, person who knows, has a, a practical and a theoretical knowledge about life, a business and investments. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome uh, Dr. Andrew Stotz, uh, CEO of the A. Stotz Investment Research. Andrew, welcome. And thank you for coming thank today. Thank you very much. Uh, on uh, my podcast, uh, you're welcome, uh, Andrew. Look, basically, apart, we used to be, um, you know, I have the habit to ask people the PIN number for the credit card and everything else. I start with you, <laughs> a little bit different. So, Andrew, your resume is very impressive. So instead of me just reading your resume, I would like to you share with our listeners who is Andrew's thoughts and what Andrew's thoughts actually is doing. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you. And as uh, as I say on my podcast, I always say, hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. And that is ultimately what I'm doing is doing a podcast where I'm interviewing people to tell their stories about their worst investment ever. But I didn't start doing that. I started as a kid. in I was 14, year old, 14 years old, Mario, when I first went to jail. Okay, that, that's a said your resume. So can you share with us why jail and why 14 years old when you went in jail? I got addicted to drugs at a very early age. And it just hit me real hard. And I lost control of myself and my life. And basically, I, I had a fight with my father. And my parents called the police on me. And they put me in, in detention center when I was young. And then they put me into a foster home. And eventually, I got back to my family. But I still struggled. And then uh, it wasn't until I turned 17 that I went through three different drug rehabs and came out the other end. And basically, I have been clean and sober for 40 years as of September of this year since I left those rehabs. So I don't drink. I don't do drugs. And, uh, and I've, I've lived a, a life that's just gone up and up and up. I've worked what we call the 12-step program. And uh, yeah, it's just been a, a great life. So that is the ultimate foundation of my life. If I if I if I let myself go back to drinking and using drugs, I know that it's a disaster for me. Andrew, not many people will have the, the opening statement. Everybody loves to say that the best part of themselves, and what I learned through my experience, and you know, doing the podcast and uh, interviewing people, and anything else. And as well, I've been victim of the many podcasts over there, um, listening. Everybody loves to come with a sad story. But somebody who has uh, such a strong uh, background, and as I say, you know, before we dig deep into your education, tertiary qualification, 
um, you know, you admitted you've been in prison. May I ask you, just for the, our listeners, what is the thing happened to everybody who comes in across the drug, right? How, how did you experience the drug? What happened? You know, obviously, didn't go and sell like I wanted drugs in. I mean, somebody comes to you and then what did happen, if I may ask it, you? Uh, you know, in my case, I had older sisters and they had friends and, you know, I, I just... I didn't understand the dangers and the risks. And I think that, you know, there are people that are casual. You know, my mother drinks wine every couple of days or once a week or something. And, you know, she doesn't have a problem with it. But I think that, you know, kind of genetically, when it comes together for some people, I, I explain it, it's a little bit like I have some friend of mine and whenever he drinks milk, he gets a rash on his arm. Okay. <laughs> That's a new one for me. That's a new one for me as well. <laughs> because... The reason why I'm asking this because we know we never come across uh, something bad habits just because we we're looking for that being offered to us. But this podcast is not about me, and because my mission is to make a one uh, life at a time better through experiences of the people mm. like yourself. And I have no doubt that you have the amazing stories. And inviting everybody to come uh, to Mr. Andrew Stotts website, astotts.com. Um, I'm going to put the links down below for those who are watching the video, but everybody who is listening on the website, live905.com.au, you're going to see as well those links, so visit and uh, listen to this one. So let's go start mm. from the start, from the from the end. Where are you now, Andrew, and who is Andrew okay. today? Not the Andrew when he was 14 years old. Yes, so um, I live in Bangkok, Thailand, and I uh, I basically have my own, I have, I have two businesses in Thailand that I do and I live yes. in Thailand with my uh, mother and since my father passed away in the US I brought my mother here and so she's been with me for six years but I have a factory in Thailand that's a coffee factory that I've co-founded with a friend of mine that business is about 28 years old and it's gone through a lot of ups and downs but it is a wholesale B2B business and um, yes. and then I have uh, my business, ASTOTS Investment Research, where we do three things. Number one, we manage money. So in Thailand, we have investment strategies for Thais in particular, but we've been expanding outside of Thailand where we manage you know, a large amount of money for people here. And then the second thing I do is I value companies. And so I've spent my career as a financial analyst valuing companies in the stock market, and I continue to value companies in my own business. And then I teach young people how to value companies through the valuation masterclass. And the third thing I do is I have an outsourced CFO business where I basically, friends and other people come to me and say, my business is a mess. Uh, it can work, but I'm struggling right now with the accounting and finance. And that's where I come in and yes. I help them. And then I train their staff. I have a course called Finance Made Ridiculously Simple. And then I train their staff on how to make their company financially world-class. So that's what I'm doing and, uh, yeah, enjoying every minute of it. Well, Andrew, thank you very much for sharing this one. So we start from the little Andrew who was 14 years old and today a little bit older Andrew who doesn't have problem to share his experiences, life experiences. And between all of this, you... Uh, you accumulated your wealth knowledge in finances as well. You you are the you have PhD as well, which means you are the lecturers and you know this says uh, you are the yoga student of wellness aficionado. So like how this you know like you know when did you decide to you know say like okay little Andrew enough the bad stuff I want to I want to do these things 
around the money in the businesses. How this comes to you? When did you decide to do that part? When I got out of rehab, I was interested in psychology. And so I thought maybe I would study psychology. But truthfully, I didn't have any money mm-hmm. at that time. And I had been kicked out of my house yeah, yeah, from... Yeah. My parents were like, do it on your own. So I went to work in a factory on an assembly line and I didn't have much money at all. And I didn't, he couldn't even think about going to university. But after about a year or two, I ran into a lady named Catherine O'Brien and she worked for the state of Ohio where I was. And she managed to somehow get a $500 grant to give to me to start to study in university. And I went to university and what did I do? I studied for one term and then I quit. <laughs> and then that was no long, no long study. Yeah, I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't get things in a groove. And, and I, and then yeah. I got, I, I started doing a sales job and I got ripped off by a company and I just didn't have any power to fight back. And I realized I really have to get educated. And that's when I went to Kent state. So I went to Kent state in Ohio and I can just tell you the one story that I remember the best Please. from Kent State. I really was kind of, I listened to the psychology professor and I just really wasn't that impressed. I had already been through a lot of um, personal therapy and, and rehab. So I kind of knew a lot about, about that type of stuff. And I was searching, but I didn't have an answer. And then I walked into this economics class and the teacher was walked in right at the last minute. And there's 200 students in the room. I can picture this room it is an auditorium with you know seats going up you know higher and higher in the back and it's got you know all kinds of boards that he's going to write on and the teacher walked in and he said there's 200 people in this room half of you will be gone by the time that we end this semester and of the remaining 100 i will give 10 a's let's get started and something about what that guy said to me fired me up to say i want to get one of those a's and I can't remember the guy's name. I can't remember much at all. But all I know is that I got an A in that class and he lit a fire in me to start to learn and learn how to learn. And I, start, I got better at taking notes. I got better at you know, reviewing my work. And then that set me on a stage. And eventually, over time, I got my bachelor's degree in finance at Cal State Long Beach. And then I did an MBA while I was working at Pepsi. I did my bachelor's in finance. I went to work in the factory of Pepsi. And I was a supervisor. Yes. And that's where I learned a lot about statistics and quality control. And then I, I stumbled into a, a, a seminar with a man named Dr. W. Edwards Deming, who at that time was about almost nine, about 90 years old. And he was teaching about quality. And so I started getting interested in that. And then I decided to move to Thailand in 1992. And I came to Thailand to teach finance. I was, 30, uh, I was 25, 26 years old. And, uh, and so I, I never left. Now, after one year of teaching finance, I decided to work in the stock market because at the time, the stock, Thai stock market was booming. Yes, so I yes, worked for yes. 20 years as an analyst at various investment banks here and uh, was a head of research and you know, running research teams. So I really, really spent most of my career working in traditional finance and investment banking and, and loving it. You know, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. So that was, uh, that, that was some of my story. That's a, that's a great story. I have the uh, related but not related question to this, what you said. Uh, once upon a time, I was being told by somebody, your profile, his name is Professor Clyde Smallman, and he told me that we are not what we are by nature, but by nurture, by meaning that people around us, who is surrounding yourself, they're going to project into, onto us. Either we're going to move forward or we're going to stay where we are. Would you agree with 
with with that statement, that same with you, that uh, doctor, mm. professor, you met that is all gentlemen. Yeah, I think you know we're impacted by everybody around us. In fact, it's a good lesson for everybody listening or viewing is that you know don't discount the impact that you're having on people. You know, I just I just did a call with a young guy wow. from Nigeria that's entered into my valuation masterclass boot camp, and I do one-on-one -on -one calls with all of my students. And we did a one-on-one call. One -on -one call. I said, sir, I heard you speak at a particular event, and I was so impressed that I want to be like you, and that's it. And, and I said to him, no, your objective should be to be better than me. And that's why I'm training you right now and teaching you to help you to be better. So you just don't know, you know who you're impacting. That uh, the economics professor had no idea how he set a fire in me. So I really challenge everybody to be inspirational to people and, and challenge people. You know, and sometimes it's a it's a tough challenge and sometimes it's a loving challenge. Yes. It just depends on the circumstances, but never underestimate the fact that you are having an impact on the people around you. Without doubt, education is a very important factor for everybody of us. Uh, personally, I can say like, you know, um, even I want to interview you more or less me. Um, I know that I've been pushed here in Australia, in a country which is not mine, or language which is not mine, to finish my master's. And hopefully it's going to be next month, it's been done. But I never believed I will be able to do this because I was believing I'm just a guy who who knows everything and I don't need qualifications, however we need. By your own free will and your experience, how much you putting um, importance to anybody to educate themselves so like no let's go not finish just a bachelor in economics and we never again go in the mm. university how much importance you put on education uh, tertiary education training uh updating workshops webinars to we constantly stay updated so the way i would answer that is that i have a question i ask people around the world when i'm talking and giving speeches and stuff and i say i ask this question you know let's just say you work 10 hours eight hours a day or whatever but let's think about it for a moment and say only a certain amount of that time is really high quality time so we only have so much brain power anyways um, we collapse as humans we collapse at the end of pretty much every day running out of energy so uh, if we think about it I ask people how many hours and the answer that I get is on average about two or three hours of concentrated work time per day you know, we have that time where you're sitting at the computer scanning around, but yes. you know, you're not really thinking and you're not really. So let's, yes. let's yeah, just boy. say that the majority of people, you know, really all we have, we don't have only 24 hours in a day. We really only have, let's say, I'm going to say four concentrated hours in a day. And if it doesn't matter if you're Elon Musk or you're someone else. Each of us have about four hours, you know, maybe someone's got five or six, but you know, they're very, very rare. And even in that case, yes. if you start, you know, some people may take a drug to try to extend that, but there's consequences. Yes. Uh, Thomas Sowell, the famous economist in America says, there are no uh, solutions, there's only trade-offs. So if you say, okay, I'm going to work, you know, long hours for the next six months, you're going to pay a price. There it will be a price, there will be a trade-off. So I like to think about four hours as kind of our limit from a quantity perspective. So you can't win through working more. Interesting. You, it's fixed. Because, you know, like, it's like, 
If, because look, I, I like to be uh, uh, taught by you and mentored by you. And this is a great opportunity right now to get uh, some freebies of a call. You know, everybody like myself and start a business, we are being educated by the internet and YouTube and all these influences and entrepreneurs. And that there was a, uh, being always said, and doesn't matter what and when and how, will say, wake up 4 o'clock in the morning and work 4 o'clock in the morning till midnight. And now I come in conversation with you, somebody who is very successful, somebody who has done so much uh, for, them, for, for, for yourself and your clients, says there's a four to five hours of quality work. And this, is, this is astonishing. And interesting, we don't ask people like yourself who is uh, educated and people with uh, experience, but rather we're getting from internet those information. Yeah, and it's, it's something that I think it's, Working harder is, is it's pretty much the way I thought to do things. And what I learned yes. is that uh, as I teach, when I teach about valuation and how to forecast the profits of a company, and it really starts with revenue, and the revenue of any company is price times quantity. How many, if we're going to value Tesla, how many cars are they going to sell and what's the average price? That's it. So price times quantity is, Some the, the, is the yeah. ultimate measure of, the value that you can generate. So now if you think about it from a personal perspective, your quantity is fixed. You have four hours of concentrated time. That time is so valuable because that's where you can really add value to your clients and others. And so if you only have four hours, then I think the only way that you can increase your pay is to increase the amount that you are paid per hour, let's say. Now, I don't charge anything hourly, but the point is, from an hourly basis, that's really, I've got to figure out how to get paid more. And I think that ultimately, there's two things that people would pay for. Number one is knowledge. And you could say knowledge and skills, right? Because you mentioned about training and stuff. Yes. So I would say knowledge and skills. Yes. And the second thing that you could get paid for is experience. So, you know, that's why some, some Interesting. I never heard such a thing, yeah. Andrew. Thank you for sharing this. Please yeah. continue. Yes. So that's why, you know, companies will hire a, a senior person to come on the board of directors or something like that. And at the age of 70, let's say, they can look at a situation. They've been through a lot of experience and they can come up with some really great ideas about how to solve the problem or how to break through or whatever. And that same person didn't have that ability when they were 25 because they just didn't have, they may have had some knowledge, but they didn't have the experience. So really it's about knowledge and skills that you have and it's about experience. And so when you're young, you can't really build up experience except by doing. So what you have is the ability to accumulate knowledge and skills. And if you can gather those and then figure out how to yes. apply them to help other people, to help yourself, then from that you can generate value. And when I was a young analyst in the stock market, I learned the skills. The first skill I learned was Excel. The second skill I learned was writing. The third skill I learned was logical thinking, to be able to make an argument of why this is a buy or sell and how do you support that with evidence. And as I started realizing it, I realized that I'm never going to make as much money as I want or have as much success as I want if I can't make an impact. You can do all the calculations you want behind your desks and yes. all that stuff. So that's when I started learning how to 
present. And so I started studying everything I could about giving presentations. I gave as many presentations to clients and others as I could, and I kept notes. And I, I basically became much better at making an impact with my presentations. And then eventually I created a course that I sell about, you know, how to become a Yes, I, 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 I'll check it this right now, this one. So, Andrew, you're you, you teaching all this stuff, which we're right now discussing. You, you, you're teaching people who come yep. to you, right? You know, from the, from the scratch, you know what I mean? And, or enhancing their skills and everything else. So now, if somebody comes to you and say, like myself, Andrew, I want to run my own business um, and I don't know nothing. How would you help that person? What would you be best advice apart to go through your courses, so, which I, I highly, highly recommend? I would say, them. you know, I, you're not going to like my answer. I don't care. There's no like it or no like it. We're talking yep. about business. But I, and, I have people, uh, you know, people yes, come to me all the time and they ask me that and I say, yeah. don't do it. <laughs> Why is that? You say to somebody, I want to be rich. It's like, don't well, do it. The, the why reason is why is because I, I, as an analyst, I have to understand statistics very well. And I understand the probability. The probability of failure is extremely high. And we know that people are over-optimistic and there's an over-optimism bias that clouds their minds and makes them think that they're the ones that's going to be successful. And so with the odds stacked dramatically against them and with a common bias of overconfidence, the probability is they're going to fail in this idea. So for 95% of the people that I tell that to about that idea at that time to that person, I've just given really, really great advice. And for the 5% that are successful, they'll probably say, Ah, there was this guy, Andrew Stotts, when I was young, and he said, don't do it, you can't do it, and you can't succeed, and I probably motivated him. I think, I think you're pretty motivated. Like, from my point of view, I can say now the difficulties they are when you run your business, and I'm not going to the analytics because I'm not sure what is it now, percentage people fail, but they say in the first two years, 50% fail, and then third year, total 75 percent a very small number of people in business stay and as i say you know i was being no coached i didn't know nothing i i was researching youtube and i wish i met somebody like yourself as i mentioned before on your podcast so andrew why is it important to have the somebody like your profile on a board as a virtual assistant cfo ceo um you know like a type of concierge somebody who is um whispering on her ears to the person who run the business. Why is it important we have people like yourself? This is your answer, not mine. So, so yeah. I think that um, a good example, Mario, I can tell you is about my coffee business. My best friend, Dale, yes, has run the coffee business for 28 years. I've never worked as an employee of the business, but we've been equal shareholders yes. and I'm a, a board member and you know I'm advising him as best I can and looking after the accounting and finance aspect. So you could think of me kind of as the chairman of the company and him as the CEO. He, the CEO's job is growth. He got to grow this business. Okay. The chairman's job is risk. So ultimately a board, you know, we want to, a board wants to help them grow, but 
ultimately the operator of a business is often pushing the limits of growth, trying everything they can in every direction. And a outsider or a board member or an advisor or a chairman or whatever that would be is somebody that can try to help assess the risks. Like, hey, you're burning the candle at both ends. There's a risk here that you're going to wear yourself down or wear the management team down or, uh, you know, you've got, you're too concentrated in any one client. And if that one leaves you, then you're in trouble. And so a lot of what I like to think about is risk management. And part of that also comes back to the podcast for my worst investment ever. I'm, I'm interviewing, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people about the mistakes that they've made. And that helps me to think carefully and you know, we had a chance to expand our business to to Vietnam, and basically, um, I'll, I'll give you a, a a tip from something that we did. Yes, um, basically, Dale agreed that he would look into it, and he went to Vietnam, met with the people that we had been talking to, and I said, "Look, take take as much time as you need, and then pull together your idea about what you think the potential is, and let's have a meeting about that." Yes. So Dale and I, just the two of us, sat down at a at a meeting at our office one Monday night when we normally meet and I said, let's go present. And he presented, you know, a spreadsheet, what he thought the upside was and all that. And, you know, I had a lot of questions about, you know, okay, what about this? What about that? But in the end, you know, we, we went through the upside and then we went to dinner. Now the next week is what was the, the, the interesting thing. We agreed to meet the next Monday and the next Monday we weren't talking about the upside. We were talking about the risks. And so in that meeting, Dale came and said, here's all the risks to this. Now, the benefit of this type of discussion when you separate the research or the discussion on risk and return is it takes away a lot of the defensiveness. If somebody's presenting, oh, this is going to be great and it's going to go up and up and up. Okay, go. <laughs> go, man, go. Yeah, go let's go see it. it. Yeah, yes. I want to see it. You know, yes. let's, let's visualize where this could go. But then when we had our discussion on risk, it wasn't about, hey, this is going to fly. No, this is about you coming and saying, let's say, what could go wrong? And in the end, we decided not to expand to Vietnam because we felt like the allocation of our cash and of our time was better spent expanding in Thailand, where we have such a lower risk, much, much lower risk than initiating a new business in a foreign country. And so, but if we had, hadn't separated that risk and return, maybe we would have gotten a fight on that Monday night or discussing like, well, what's the risk? <laughs> they never lined up differently. Yeah. Let's, my, tip, <laughs> yes. my tip, and I, I tell people, I, I learned that people make six common mistakes in their financial lives or in their business lives. And one of them is... Can you share with us? Yeah, so number one is they fail to do their research. That's the number one risk of the people that come on, number one mistake of the people that come on my show. And they fail to do their research. And when I now, when I advise people, I basically tell them, separate your risk, your return and your risk research. Number two, they failed to properly assess and manage risks. They looked at something and they didn't understand the riskiness of it. Yeah. It's like if you're going to walk on the edge of a tall building and, not, and, and put blindfold on and not care, you're going to fall off. So you need to assess the risk of what you're going into. And when you're in something, then you need to manage it. The third one is they're driven by emotion or flawed thinking. They just make bad you know, behavioral or emotional decisions uh, or they just didn't, their, their thinking process isn't very clear. Number four is that they misplace trust. 
you know, I have someone that just gave, I have plenty of people I interviewed that just gave money to a stranger. Interesting. <laughs> that's it. That's a very common thing. I, I can, I can see it around yeah, me as they well. Just gave, they'll, they'll fight tooth and nail for every penny in their business and at their home. But then some stranger comes along with a great, you know, pitch and they'll give money to them and then they'll lose it all. And number five is that they failed to monitor their investment. Many of my guests come on and they did not, they just gave someone money and they didn't, they just thought, oh, they'll, 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 they'll produce return for me, but they didn't monitor it. And then number six is a catch all. And that is they invested in a startup company. Many of my guests have invested in a startup company and lost it all. And so those are the lessons that I've learned from interviewing now almost 600 people. Yes. My God, Andrew. I know I'm very aware of your time and I'm very grateful. So a few more questions, short ones before we end up. Uh, we know that your podcast is podcast, it's called My Worst Investment. Now we understand even why. So I'm inviting everybody, feel free to come on our uh, Andrew website, istots.com. I'm going to put the link below. Feel free to, to, to browse the, the podcast and learn something more. Secondly, what services you offering to anybody across the globe who like to come to you and want to learn more to you become their mentor or CFO, CEO, or maybe chairman? What services your company offer? So I think there's a couple of ways that people can engage with me. And I think the best way is just to go to myworstinvestmentever.com, go to the contact me, and that will send an email directly to my email box. Um, but the, the okay. first thing is for uh, people who want to learn valuation. That is Actually. number one, and that is my valuation masterclass. And I can share more information if you contact me. The second thing is for people that have a lot of money and are looking for simple and easy to implement methods of investing, that's the type of thing I do in my research so that would be mm -hmm. the second thing. And then the third thing is for someone who's got a business, it's, it's a reasonable sized business, but just struggling with the accounting and finance. They don't have on time and accurate monthly financial statements. They should contact me and I will help them to get to that. I, 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 I concur. Don't be like me. For the first two years, I was having everything in my shoebox. And I was thinking that was good enough, but then... I received my first fine, couple hundred bucks from a tax man, and they told me you need to have somebody to do all of this. And I was like, "Yeah, I knew that one." So, and most importantly, uh, last question: We are now in a stage where the world is shifting, and economies are shifting, politics and everything else. What do you see the biggest risk you can see for the, any business in next foreseeable six months or twelve months? Wish you, if you can share some of your opinion, of yep. course. What is the risk we, 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 we should be more aware in the next six or 12 months? So, so I manage a few different strategies, and one of them um, mm -hmm. basically is, is an asset allocation strategy, and that means I'm switching between stocks, bonds, commodities, and gold. And right now, I'm equally weighted between these four, 25% for each. And that's very rare. Normally, you're going to have 50 to 75 in stocks. So the first yes. thing to be careful about is that with the Fed increasing interest rates into a recessionary slowdown, expect that the stock market in the US could crash. I think that is number one. Number two is that um, inflation, I, I expect that inflation is going to uh, remain, remain high, but I think what's critical right now is we are going to see countries across, particularly Africa, 
but other vulnerable countries fall into chaos because they won't have enough food and food will be so expensive. And so what's happening right now is uh, I would say America ultimately holds the power in this world. America could sit down with Russia today and start talking about a resolution. And instead, they are perpetuating yes. confrontation. Now, of course, Russia could also stop now. But the point is, is that there's no other country in the world that could step up and do the right thing and say, let's stop this and not stop it through violence, but stop it through talking. But I don't think that that's going to happen. And as a result, I think my other big risk I'm worried about is really, you could argue we are in already World War Three. And so from an investment perspective, yeah. we have to be very careful about our money. Andrew, I'd like to say thank you. And last one, but not least, before you go and say goodbye to you, to go, what's the taste of the coffee in Thailand? Is it better in US, Europe, or is it good in Thailand? Thailand is coffee? a coffee-growing country, but it doesn't grow as much as Vietnam, which is nearby. Thailand has about 90% of its coffee is grown in the south at sea level, which means that it's mainly for instant coffee. But in the mountains of Chiang Mai and Chiang Rai, they have some good coffee. And so I was just sipping some of it right now that we roasted at our factory at Coffee Works. So. May I ask you what's the name coffee of your works. coffee? Coffee Works. Oh, that's a good name. Andrew, I'd like to say thank you very much for the last uh, half an hour of your time. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, knowledge and insights and inviting everybody. Feel free to contact Andrew. I'm going to put all links below and, uh, you know, be in touch with this gentleman that abundant knowledge and life experience is what you want in your business to be successful. Thank you, Andrew, for being the guest on Life the Butterfield. I truly appreciate it. And, uh, I'll Thank you for having soon. me, Mario. Thank you, everybody. This has been another episode of Life the Battlefield with Mario Beckish. Please like and subscribe. And remember to catch all of the Life the Battlefield podcast episodes on YouTube and at mariobeckish.com.au. Don't forget to leave a comment for Mario. And if there is someone you know who could benefit from the experience and insight in this episode, share it with them.